and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. In episode 9, we'll be talking about French diction with François Germain, a coach on the faculty of the Crane School of Music, and we'll be concentrating on the nasal vowels, dark and bright ahs, and the crazy spelling that is the French language. We'll focus on the texts to A Cloris and Chanson à Boire from Ravel's Don Quixote à Dulciné. When I was in undergrad, my diction teacher was Colette Wilkins. She was a lovely woman with a wonderful way of mixing teaching and humor, and my favorite story from her classes is about that French bright ah. An American had told her this joke. A snail was driving a little sports car that had an S painted on the side, and someone yelled, look at that little S car go. But Colette didn't get the joke. And it wasn't until she was home telling her husband the story, and she told the punchline with her own French accent, look at that little S car go, that she got it. This story always reminds me to keep those ahs bright, or French people won't understand me. Now there is also a dark ah in the French language, and Francois will talk more about that today. If you want to follow along but don't have the music, you can find texts for these songs at recmusic.org slash leader, or follow the link at the blog at thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. Our first text is A Cloris, and if you've gotten the text from REC Music, you'll notice that there are discrepancies between what's on the website and what you'll hear. I'm not sure why the text is different, but we've chosen to use the text that's printed in the music, which is what every recording I could find also uses. The differences are in the third line, je ne crois pas, P-A-S, instead of point, P-O-I-N-T. In line six, avenir, instead of devenir and in line 7, pour la félicité, P-O-U-R, instead of à la félicité. À Cloris, par Théophile de Vio. S'il est vrai, Cloris, que tu m'aimes, mais j'entends que tu m'aimes bien, je ne crois pas que les rois m'aiment est un bonheur pareil au mien. Que la mort serait importune à venir changer ma fortune pour la félicité des cieux. Tout ce qu'on dit de l'ambroisie ne touche point ma fantaisie au prix des grâces de tes yeux. That was A Cloris, read by François Germain. And I thought we'd start off with this talking a little bit about all of the different nasal sounds, because we get all the different nasal vowels in this song. And I, actually, I'd like to start by saying that I do not like the, the, the way we call them, nasal vowels, because they sort of imply that we, we should sing them in the nose somehow, which is not true. There's nothing really nasal about a nasal vowel in French. There's also a difference, and maybe that's where the, the name comes from, between the spoken French and what we would sing. And this, a spoken nasal might actually sound more nasal than a sung nasal vowel in French. Mm -hmm. So that was just my little uh, disclaimer. Na I like to think about it in terms of space rather than nose okay. of the nasal vowel. So we have the four basic nasal vowels, a nasal, a nasal, oe nasal, and o nasal. And the most important thing to remember is that the nasal vowel will only sound right if the underlying vowel 
is formed properly. So if we talk about a nasal, we go for a dark a vowel. Mm -hmm. uh, o nasal has to be a very closed o. Mm -hmm. uh, o e has to be the real o e, so real a. Uh, and e nasal has to be a real e uh, underlying. And the only thing that really happens is just the, the creation of a little bit more space in the back. And some people talk about raising the soft palate or manipulating the palate, the nasal sound, but I always think that this is already too involved uh, a thought process. If you just pretty much sing and create the space needed for singing, and sing on the pure vowel that underlies the nasal, it will come out right. Mm -hmm. I, I love that you talked about getting that pure vowel underneath it and not going too far into the nose, because I'm actually doing a show right now and one of the singers has been coached to say, ooh, ooh, uh -huh, but the uh -huh. sound doesn't come off the stage then, and it's very hard to hear the singer when they get that well, closed the, down. Exactly, and the, the thing that I find very interesting is, in a, a lot of cases, if you ask the singer to just really sing that pure vowel in the context with the words around it and the rest of the diction, it will sound as a nasal vowel. And I've, I've tried this many times, and it works really well, and it's especially uh, good when you're in higher registers where it's, it's much more difficult to actually go in the nose anyway, or you know, it, you want to have a pure vowel. Okay, so how would you coach someone to say the UN, the OE nasal? Well, the OE nasal is uh, it's tricky for two reasons. First, uh, if, if you have a singer that has a notion of uh, French as a language that they can speak, OE nasal is, is, uh, is not a vowel that really exists in spoken French anymore. Okay. It's always fused with the E, open E nasal. So it's, it's a sort of a lost vowel in the language itself. The other difficulty with it is that if you compare the two, if we go back to what we were saying about the importance of the underlying vowel, E and OE are very close together. Because it is actually an open E in the back of the mouth. Right, that's right. OE is the mixed vowel that's, you know, it's, it's basically an E with open all lips, right? Right. So by going from E, like an E vowel, and mm -hmm. then asking the singer to round the lips a little bit, E, mm -hmm. and then they understand the difference between these two vowels. And then all you have to do, once you have the concept for OE theory established, is just think of a little bit more backspace or soft pad raising, whatever you want to call that, and go from uh, uh, and that gives you sort of a pure OE nasal. Yeah. If you had to sing an OE nasal and what came out was an A nasal, it wouldn't be, you know, capital sin, just because <laughs> that's how we speak it anyway, so it wouldn't really hurt anyone's ears really, but right. if you want to be pure and refined, you really have to clarify your OE concept. Okay. So, so what does that sound like in context in a place like in the fourth in the fourth yes. line? Yeah. Well, this is actually interesting because you go from a, an open e on e, the first word, to the oe nasal, right? So, bonheur. All you're really doing is rounding the lips on that, then. Exactly. Exactly. The difference is subtle, but it does make the text sound much more refined, which is appropriate for the time period that it was written. And it's appropriate for lyric diction anyway. Yeah, well, and it's also nice because right after with bonheur, we have the open O, which your lips are in that position then, and then exactly. we have the, the OE sound anyway. Exactly, and you know, that's I find when you actually really go for 
the proper vowel formation, the proper shapes of the lips and tongue and everything, they work together much better. You, you very often find that they, they, they go from one to the other very nicely. Like in this case, we go from an E to an A to an O, and these are all close together, so there's not a lot that you have to do. As long as you're clear on what each one of is, yeah. each one of them is, it helps the legato of the French language. It helps the sort of the the common ground between all these different sounds. Yeah, which is great. So just to get the difference, to hear the difference back to back between the oe nasal and the the n nasal, um, we have actually in the next sentence we get a word with the n nasal. Serait importune. So again, we have serait, which finishes on the open e, and then we go directly to an open e nasal. Serait importune. E un. Whereas the other one was e un. E un and e un. It's very slight. But it is. It's there. It's very slight, but it's it's very important, I think, because I, I to me the the e nasal always sort of has a little more of a. I like to call it a quack. It sounds a little more like a duck. Yeah. And the, yeah, the, absolutely. And OE is more rounded. That's just because of the nature of the underlying vowel. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, we have two more nasal sounds to go on. Yes. So we have the the anasal. Already in the second uh, second line, we get that. J'entends. Yes. I think before we talk about a nasal, we might have to talk about the two different as in French. Yes. Let us. Yes. <laughs> Since we have. You know, we have, uh, so we have what we call the dark A and we have the bright A in French. It, it's, it's, they're different vowels. In a sense, if, if, again, we go back to the, the spoken French logic, we don't differentiate between the two. Mm -hmm. um, I like the dark A for the color it gives to certain words, and these words are very few, actually. Uh, I use the dark A much less than I should, according to the rules, probably. But word like uh, like we have in this song at the end, au prix des grâces de tes yeux, grâce with a accent circonflexe calls for a dark a, and I like that sound for that particular word. I'm not sure that there's a logic to this. It's a matter of taste. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of things about French diction, you know, we talked about the liaison earlier a little bit. Yeah. Um, a lot of has to do with what sounds good. Uh, and I also like it on the word like um, am, for instance, and there might be a few others that I can really think about right now. But So the point is just giving a different color to a certain word to highlight it. Now, the other point that's actually more important about the dark a uh, is that this is the vowel that you need to form your a nasal. Mm -hmm. If you try to form your a nasal based on a bright a, it's not going to sound right. It's going to sound too bright, it's going to sound too close to an E nasal almost. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that some coaches even teach um, the A nasal with an open O as the underlying vowel to make it very round. En, j'entends. If, if I go for a vowel with a bright A, j'entends, it doesn't sound right. Right. You have to go to an A, like j'entends, a real dark A. The main problem I'm with the two uh, is that the bright A is never quite bright enough. It's really very, very, very close to an Italian A. Natural, your natural tendency is to go to the dark A. So, coaching, I find myself talking about the bright A much more than I do the dark A, because that comes much more naturally. Yeah. Somehow. So, j'entends, uh, which is A nasal, 
Definitely based on the dark eye. Mm -hmm. And then the closed O nasal. The thing that I really emphasize with this is that it has to be a very closed O. Because if, if um, it's an open O, it's going to sound like a dark ah, they're going to be too close together, and you won't understand what's going on. You mm -hmm. won't hear it as an oh. Oh is very oh, oh, it's really, really close round O. Yeah. So those are four nasal vowels. The main thing about them is to really be clear on the underlying vowel. Then the other problem that happens a lot is that you will hear a little bit of an N or an M, depending on the spelling of the word, that creeps in between the words. For instance, mejantant. It's partly because your tongue just goes up automatically to make the T. That's exactly right. So that's one of the reasons. One of the reasons that it's anticipation of the next syllable, which you should never do in French. You should always sing the vowel as long as you possibly can. If you keep the ah sound, the dark ah, and then you just really move to the consonant at the last minute, you won't have that problem. Right. I also think that the psychological issue here, when you see the word spelled with an N, somehow, somehow your brain wants to have an N somewhere in there. Yes. Same thing with an M, you know? Yes. And fortune. And, but, I mean, the real reason is, like you said, it's, it's going to the P or the T too, too early. I really think, too, that you see that letter and you want to say it, and that's in some ways why then, our American yes. R gets involved in every other language, because we see an R exactly. and we want to say it. We talked about the O-E nasal, which is spelled U-N in this case, in the fourth line of our text. But we also have the very strangely spelled A-I-E-N-T right before it. Remember that if E-N-T is at the end of the word because it's a verb in the third person plural, it becomes a mute E. Here we have the kings, les rois, as the subject of the clause, and E, which comes from the verb avoir, to have, as its verb. So the only letters we need to pronounce are the A-I at the beginning of it, as an open E. But a verb makes liaison with an article or predicate adjective that follows. So we also connect the T. Est un bonheur. In the fifth line, we have serait importune, where the T is also pronounced. This follows that same liaison rule, a verb connecting with an article or predicate adjective that follows it. And the last two words of the song, tes yeux, also make liaison. This is a very easy one to remember because it crops up so often. An article preceding its own noun always makes liaison with it. Our second text is Chanson à boire from Ravel's Don Quixote à Dulciné. This was Ravel's last completed work, written in 1932 for voice and piano and orchestrated by the composer in 1934. The text is by Paul Morand, a French diplomat, novelist, playwright, and poet. Chanson à boire par Paul Morand. Foin du bâtard, illustre dame, qui pour me perdre à vos douze yeux dit que l'amour et le vin vieux mettent en deuil mon cœur, mon âme. Ah, je bois à la joie. La joie est le seul but où je vais droit, lorsque j'ai, lorsque j'ai bu. Foin du jaloux, brune maîtresse, qui jeûne, qui pleure et fait serment d'être toujours ce pâle amant qui met de l'eau dans son ivresse. 
Ah, je bois à la joie. La joie est le seul but où je vais droit, lorsque j'ai, lorsque j'ai bu. That was Chanson à boire, read by François Germain. And as I said in the first time, the first time we did French, that if you don't know the spelling rules of French, you're really going to have a problem. And this, I think this song really kind of points that, that fact up, right, François? Oh, absolutely. There, there are some interesting uh, words in there. Uh, and we start right off the bat with uh, foin, which if you don't know what that's about, you don't know how to say it. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, you might know that O-E in French usually is wa, like in my name, François, should be mm -hmm. wa. But then what you might not know is that if you add an N at the end of it, that wa becomes an open N nasal. Mm -hmm. Which, um, if you were going to go logically about this and add a nasal from wa, you would go to wa with the A, but it's not the case. So exactly. One funny spelling there. Another good one is uh, Jean. G-E-I-N-T, it's, you know, it's, it's one sound, but it has five letters in it. Uh, the T is silent. The N only nasalizes, the two vowels are before it. Well, and the, the E actually only serves to soften the G, too. And, and that too, yes, <laughs> exactly. So there, they have like a lot of colliding rules of French spelling. <laughs> exactly. And, and as we know, there's also, there's probably as many exceptions about the rules in French as there, is, as there are rules. Well, and then we also have, uh, at the beginning, uh, I think one of your favorites, uh, deuil. I love that word. And it's a nice word. It's a nice <laughs> word. Uh, the whole issue of the I-L, uh, I'm spelling in French, or the I-L-L-E, and when that becomes a jade line and when, when it doesn't. Exactly. For instance, a word like ville, city, V-I-L-L-E, is pronounced ville with an L. Right. Uh, but she, the girl, F-I-L-L-E, which only has one letter difference, is a completely different sound and you go to the J-Glide. In this case, the I-L at the end of a day becomes a J-Glide as well. Uh, and then you have to know about E-U being an O-E and, you know, you get, you get another nice, short, complicated. Well, we also, in the, in the second verse, we also have um, the word maîtresse. And here we have Yes. A-I with the circumflex, but the circumflex doesn't change the pronunciation of the A-I, right? No, the A-I remains an open A. The, the circumflex doesn't do anything to it. Now, when you have an A vowel, an A vowel with a circumflex, usually an A circumflex is supposed to be a dark A vowel, which I don't use all that much, like we said, a few words. Like, for instance, on bata, I think it would keep both A's uh, right. Right. Uh, but the circumflex is supposed to darken the A in theory. However, it doesn't really do anything I. So when you have maîtresse, it's open A, and then you have the second open A in the word maîtresse. Same mm -hmm. exact vowel. So, okay, we have one other thing about the, the spelling of the language in the, in the chorus. But I'll, I mean, I would call it the chorus because it comes back twice. We have yes. B-U-T and B-U. Yes. And they rhyme. Yes. They do. French, French obviously is, is famous for the amount of silent consonants that it uses. Um, and this is an interesting example because B-U-T, uh, which is the word for aim or goal, uh, can actually pronounce but with oh. the T sounding. Oh. In fact, if I were to speak it, that's probably what I would say. Mon but. Un but. Interesting. 
However, you also have the option to not pronounce it, ambu. Both are equally appropriate. And in this case, since we're going to rhyme with bu, which is the past tense of bois, drink, we opt for not pronouncing the T. And it's really the thing that tells us that this is the case is just the rhyming pattern in this. La joie est le seul bu où je vais droit lorsque j'ai bu. Just to throw it out there, oftentimes an S is not pronounced, but in the middle of the word lorsque, suddenly we have an S that's pronounced. We have all the letters that are actually pronounced. Yes, that's, again, again, that's one of the sort of the joys of singing in French is that the discoveries are endless. Exactly. You know, even for a native speaker, I had so many things that I actually learned about my own language studying lyric diction. And I can only assume that for a non-native speaker, it's even more true. You will study French for a long time and still tweak and refine and discover interesting things about it, which makes the study of French lyric diction very interesting to me anyway. Yeah, exactly. The sound got a little wobbly in the middle of our discussion, so I just wanted to reiterate Francois's point about the circonflex, which is that little carrot top symbol. Technically, the circonflex over an A is supposed to darken the A vowel, but he doesn't use the dark A very often, and I kind of agree. Our tendency in French is not to sing the bright A bright enough, so I tend to shy away from talking about dark A's much, which is why I really wanted to discuss that with a native speaker. But the circonflex over the I in maîtresse doesn't change the pronunciation at all. It's still just an open A. And you might have noticed that Francois said an O-E makes the sound wa. Neither of us caught it at the time, but of course he meant O-I, like in his name, Francois. Before we get to some more general questions, I wanted to give you a little bit about Francois's background. He's the son of a German mother and a French father, and he grew up in Aix-en-Provence, France. He earned a degree in piano performance from the University of Montreal, where he was a TA for Rosemarie Landry, a French diction specialist and a student of Pierre Bernac and Gérard Souzy. Currently, Francois is on the faculty at Crane School of Music at SUNY Potsdam, teaching piano, coaching, opera, and French diction. So just to talk about a few general things, I've talked a lot in, in the German about how when we write a schwa in phonetics that it doesn't necessarily sound like uh. And oftentimes in French, in French diction when, when your teachers make you write that final mute E, they'll have you write a schwa. But talk to us a little bit about how the schwa functions, that mute E in French. Well, it's, uh, it's one of the things I find myself talking the most about to uh, the singers I coach. It's, it's a vowel for some reason that seems to be very complicated. And I'm not quite sure why actually, because it's, in, in essence it's quite simple. You just, all you need to know about schwa is that schwa is O-E in French. Mm -hmm. uh, you will find some coaches that have different shades for the schwa sound, they're not all exactly the same. But I find that if you just stick to O-E, a nice open O-E, and you use this as your schwa everywhere, you'll be in great shape. What happens a lot is that the schwa uh, mutates sometimes towards an A, sometimes towards an open E, sometimes towards O slash. And the thing that I say the most in my coaching is that at the end of every song is you've got to open your schwa. Open your schwa. Mm -hmm. Schwa is a very open sound. 
uh, like we were talking about earlier about the OE nasal and talking about the importance of having the pure OE under there. Yeah. Same thing for Schweiz. Uh, and it's a very open vowel. Mm -hmm. We talk a little bit in German and in French, or we talk a lot about those uvular R's. Yes. So what about those? Um, do you suggest singing with the uvular R or with the front, with the front rolled flipped R? What, what do you prefer? I, what I like um, personally is just the one flip in front, not rolled because that ends up sounding Italian or you know, not quite French, like Spanish maybe. <laughs> um, the uvular R I think is, uh, is problematic for singing because it, it's so far back and it's, it's, I guess some people like using it because it gives a more modern um, card to the language and it's again it's closer to what the, f the spoken French sounds like uh, but I don't think it's uh, a nice sound to use for singing uh, per se. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that most of the repertoire, if, and especially if we talk about art song and the French, the French opera, um, again is set into a time frame historically where the rolled R would have, or the flint R rather, would have been much more used and prevalent. And I think it's sounds more refined if you sing a chloris, for instance, if you're going to roll your R, and if you're going to use the uvular R, si le vrai chloris, it just sounds a little bit too casual to my ears. I like the, the fact that the flip R heightens the, the refinement of the language. I know that the, I think there's a strong tendency nowadays to go for more uvular R than not. You know, if again, if, if we're going to talk about maybe a more modern piece or a piece that's maybe, you know, more a uh, character piece, a more funny, hum humorous piece, maybe a, like maybe chanson à boire would be actually more suited for uvular R, something a little bit more casual and right. you know fun. Then yes, but most of the time I, I just flip R in front. I think it's it's uh, it's easier and it sounds nicer most of the time. Yeah, you read a lot in in diction books of the phrase vocalic harmonization. Yes. All right. So um. <laughs> the rule, and the rule with that is, it's it's only with the the o the o slash and the closed e, and the rule is that if the last syllable of it is the closed version, the one before can close to match it like busy. Right. So um, <laughs> and here uh, I I might get I might I might get hate mail, but uh, <laughs> I do not I do not like vocalization at all. And I, I do not recommend it at all. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, the, the, the example you chose of busy, I'm not sure it is really a case of vocalic conversation that much. I just think the word is busy, and that's what it is. And end of discussion. The word is busy. It's not busy. We don't even think about uh, harmonizing or anything like that. Uh, my take on harmonization is that, you know, we have a language that has, depending on who's counting, between 17 and 19 or 20 vowels. Uh, which is extremely rich as far as languages go and, and the sounds that you can use for singing. And to me, vocal harmonization just uh, constitutes an, impoverish, an impoverishment of the language. We're losing sounds to vocal harmonization, and I'm not exactly sure why we have to harmonize. I personally like to have all these sounds and the variety. I think it's, it's the strength and it's the, the beauty of this language. That's what makes it very interesting to sing. It's it's also uh, what makes it challenging because you have to find how you can connect these sounds together. But 
you know, why go for something that is less diverse, less rich, has less variety, just for, I don't know, I'm not, I, I, I never quite understood what the benefit was. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do not like uh, harmonization. I know I'm not the only one who doesn't like harmonization, mm -hmm. but I also know that there are people that are strong proponents of it, yeah. um, and I, I respect that. I think it, again, will make it sound more like spoken French, because that's what happens essentially when you speak the language, you lose the variety and the, the, the different colors. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I like the variety myself. The phrase vocalic harmonization refers to modifying an unstressed open vowel to match the closed version of it in the following syllable. As you heard, François and many coaches are opposed to it, but there are probably just as many coaches who prefer it. The important thing in this case is to know what the rule is, that it can only happen when an unstressed open E is followed by a closed E in the next syllable, or an unstressed OE, E, which also includes the schwa, is followed by a closed O slash, U, in the next syllable. And it's only an option. No diction book says that this is a binding rule. It's just an option to use if it makes the vocal production easier for clarity of the language. And that's it for today's episode. If you want to find out more about François Germain, or if you have any specific questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please go to the blog at thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and give it a high rating so that more people can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening, and next week we'll start talking about Russian diction and some basics about reading the Cyrillic alphabet with soprano Maria Fontosh.